Uh, I was wondering if you were talking <clears throat> at the beginning about the four foundations of mindfulness. And I've always been a little bit confused. I've understood the body, emotions, mind. But this fourth one, um, the way that you were explaining it was, is it just the teachings of the Buddha? Is that what is meant by dharmas? Or sometimes I hear it described as phenomena. Maybe so I thought maybe it's just the things that are happening out there. Mm -hmm. mm. Thank you for the question. The fourth foundation is my favorite foundation. Right? So I always like questions on the fourth foundation. Because I, I also had that confusion. And the reason that I had that confusion is because a lot of times I heard it taught as a kind of open awareness. And yet when I read the actual words of the sutta, there were very specific um, uh, categories that were mentioned in that fourth foundation. So I may forget one, but, but generally I think it's, uh, it starts with the Four Noble Truths, truths. Uh, there's the, there are the five aggregates, the six sense bases, uh, the seven uh, factors of awakening, um, and there's one other that I'm forgetting at the moment, which I'll remember in, in a few minutes, but I'm, I'm forgetting it right now. And w the way I interpret it, and it may be just an interpretation, so please don't take it as gospel, is that essentially what the Buddha was pointing at was that every experience that we experience can be uh, looked at in the context of the teachings. So something happens that's difficult in our experience. Immediately, we can see it through the lens of the Four, found, of the four Noble Truths. So suffering has arrived, yes? And can we look at it as, oh, this is dukkha. There's the truth of dukkha. What's causing it? Can I get free of it? And how do I get free of it? Right. Or, oh, this is doubt. Or this is desire. Or this is sloth and torpor. So we can look at it through the um, the five hindrances, and you know, what are the teachings that uh, are recommended to work with uh, the ar the arising of the hindrances and how we work with them, or the seven factors of awakening, right? What's arrived? Has it? Is, can it be investigated? Can we see it through through the lens of mindfulness? Can it be investigated? How can we? How can we work with it so that our relationship to whatever experience is arising is seen through the lens of uh, awakening? So, so the teachings then become alive. And, and all of the things that you mentioned, whether it's looking at it as just phenomena arising and passing away, or looking at it through the lens that I've, I've mentioned, looking at it through all of these different ways of seeing our experience. And I, I think what it does then is 
we, the, the intense identification that we have with our lives, with whatever is arising in our lives, that stickiness, that, that intense identification starts to loosen a bit. Because as, as we look at, oh, this is dukkha, it becomes a universal experience rather than this is happening to me and it shouldn't be happening to me. Rather, it's, oh, yeah, it's true. We suffer. And why do we suffer? So we start to look at, in this particular um, situation or this particular experience, what's caused the suffering? So we're being directed uh, to a way of working with the teachings so that they're not so theoretical. Right? They're not just a set of beliefs that we can have about life but that we can actually see how they can be put into effect in our everyday experience. These teachings are not esoteric. They're totally exoteric. They're totally applicable to everything that happens to you in your life. It's just a different way of uh, channeling uh, how we pay attention. It's a, it's a way of looking at uh, the, the, the training of the mind so that, uh, so that we, we get some distance from experience. We're not so caught by our experience that we take it so personally that we get, that, that we get all um, wrapped up in our little world. But, we, but the, the, the view of the world starts to get larger. The context of all of our experiences gets to be a much larger context in which there's space to work with, uh, with difficulty, to work with whatever is going on in our lives. So the fourth foundation is a really rich uh, place of exploration. When we look at all of these ways that we can see our experience, our experience becomes a universal, um, a universal matter of being human, our humanity, and how our humanity has the ability to express itself in so many different ways. And through that hum- humanity and through that view, that, that new lens that we can look at experience, it becomes workable. Everything is workable. Nothing so dreadful or so sticky that we can't step back from it and work with it, and work with it in such a way that even difficult experiences become workable in such a way that there, there is some room for equanimity and calm in the midst of our lives. And, and that's, that, that's all of the teachings that we, that we hear, all of the teachings that we try to put into practice. And that fourth foundation includes all of that. Thank you. So it sounds like it's a. It's okay, no problem. It sounds like it's kind of a thought thought process, right? I mean, you're you're basically thinking about about the teachings Mm. in that moment, since you know I'm generally not just aware of the four noble truths, unless I uh, kind of think about. You can be aware of suffering without thinking about it. Yes? But 
that once I then just be aware of the suffering as opposed to <clears throat> the suffering in the context of the four noble truths? How is, how is suffering different uh, than the four noble truths? Well, for example, in my experience, I can <clears throat> stub my toe and I can be aware, I can bring my awareness to the suffering there that, that will help me not feel as much suffering actually if I bring awareness to it. But then it feels like to say, uh, oh yes, this is the first noble truth, is kind of like an extra. Ah. Or not. Mm. So, so when you stub your toe, that's not suffering. That's just pain. Right? And you've probably already heard it because it's so ubiquitous in our Dharma world. You know, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Right? So you stub your toe. You don't have to say, oh, this is the Four Noble Truths and how do I get free and, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, it hurts. Hey, this is pain. Right? But then, you know, the mind says, Oh, you shouldn't have been walking there. What's wrong with you? You're such an idiot. You should have been looking. If you'd been looking and paying attention, you're not such a good Dharma student because if you were paying attention, you wouldn't have stubbed your toe. And, you know, this is what you always do. And why don't you do it differently? And, you know, blah, 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 blah. blah. That's suffering. Right? So at that point, it's, oh, this is dukkha. Right? This is dukkha. Oh, Oh, and this is dukkha because there's a there's a stickiness, there's a way in which we think we should be something different than what we are. Right? That's the second truth. But right now in this moment I can cut that. Right? And I can cut it because I understand wisdom and I understand integrity and I understand um, presence or mindfulness or samadhi. So it's not so much that we're thinking about it or wondering if we should believe it or having a big philosophical debate in our minds about it, but that it provides a context. It provides a way of us seeing what's true. And it, you know, and it's a, it's, we're talking about shading here. It's not huge, big you know, differences, but shadings. And what's supportive and what's helpful to help us to move away from the stickiness of our um, of the way we of our of our reactivity. So the so the stubbing of the toe is not a problem until we start to lacerate ourselves about how we sh- could have done it differently and we should have done it differently. Right, that's when the suffering comes, and that's when a reflection on the Four Noble Truths may be, the awareness of the Four Noble Truths may be helpful, or not. Could be that you just stub your toe, you notice that it hurts, and you don't suffer, right? You move on to whatever, you're, whatever is present for you. Then you don't have to do a whole elaborate thing. But this is for... Um, when we're stuck or when we're, when we're feeling sticky. Do you know what I mean by stickiness? You know? Yeah. 
And, and, you know, sometimes we tend to think that if we're being mindful, thinking is bad. Right? Thinking isn't bad. Thinking is just helpful in certain situations and not in others. Right? And so it's like everything else in the Dharma. There's, there are no poles that we're having to take sides of, you know, like this is right and this is wrong, this is good and this is bad, but really finding a a whole middle in which we can, um, uh, in in which we can look to see what's true, right? So a little bit of thinking or or, uh, reflection may be very helpful, but a a whole lot of mentating about you know, is this right? Is this wrong? Was that true? Is this not true? What's true? You know, all of that may be useless to you. But it doesn't mean that thinking in itself is bad or that because thoughts come in and pull us away from the present moment, that thoughts in and of themselves are bad or shouldn't be. Right? Do you, do you understand the, the shading that I'm... Using. That's, that's very helpful actually because uh, sometimes it does seem like what's being said is thinking is not really uh, good. <clears throat> so it's, it's helpful to hear you say uh, a little bit of thinking is actually. Or a lot of. What, what you need or a lot of thinking. Or a lot of thinking. It depends. You know, if you're a physicist, you may need to think. Right? You know, so you don't want to be sitting at your job saying, eh, you know, I'm a meditator, I don't think. Right? You know, you want to think, or a mathematician, or you know, or a lawyer, or a doctor. You know, you, a patient comes, you want to give them a proper diagnosis. So you need to think about it, right? So that's a beautiful example of what I was meaning when I said, you know, there's a whole middle ground in which we live, and the Buddha constantly speaks about a middle way. So we're, you know, we're not going to any extremes and. Finding that middle is always a, you can always find that you're in an appropriate place if you're finding a, a middle ground of things and, and not taking sides one way or another and thinking this is right, this is wrong. So, so reflection and, and, and thinking may be appropriate at, at times. Right? But it's finding when it's appropriate and when it's not. That's the trick. You're welcome. Yeah, I like this theme, so I'm going to stick with it. Okay. Um, because when you talked about, know, you know, the difference between knowing pain and being aware of suffering, I was reminded of something that happened last week. Um, I had a colleague at work who's particularly difficult, I'm having a difficult time dealing with now because we share some responsibilities and she kind of, she's a little bit of a con artist, gets out of things and does things that then reflect badly on me. And I was losing my mind over this. So I had this moment, I remember very clearly walking from the train and my mind said, you know, you're creating your own suffering here, you need to let this go. So I thought that I was practicing the Dharma in that moment because I could see that I was creating my own suffering. And suddenly I noticed, like, all the shoulds coming in, the, you know, aversion to what was really happening, that 
you know, like you said, I, I was a good Dharma student. So in that moment, I, there was that awareness and I was able to drop that and go, I started by just going back into my body and then trying to allow whatever it was, noting the aversion and just trying to allow all of that to be. And I felt a certain, like, I mean, I, I still, it wasn't like I was happy, but I felt a certain, I, I was able to drop into something. So listening to this discussion, I'm thinking that, um, I don't know, I guess you just have to, we have to just be very, like number one, I'm thinking that, that I often think of the four foundations in this very linear fashion, which they obviously aren't. They're all kind of interwoven all the time. And, um, you know, that it's just, you always have to be very, very present because you can think that you're somewhere in the practice. You know, you can think you're doing that fourth foundation and maybe you're still somewhere else. So I, I don't know if you have anything to add to or just, you know, any comment around this experience and how I dealt with it, how that relates to the discussion. Mm. It's, do you have a question? Do I have a question? Well, I guess um, whether, I mean, I guess my question is, was my way of dealing with it skillful? Mm -hmm. Because it, it felt like, you know, it was, it was the best, it was just the way that that experience unfolded for me. Mm -hmm. um, so the, so uh, you, you said a lot of things, so I'm, I'm probably going to light on just going to light on one thing that kind of lit up for me as you were talking. And that was, you know, somehow you got it to a place where either she was wrong or you were wrong. Right? So whatever it was, whatever behaviors that your colleague exhibits um, were impacting you in a particular way. Right? And, and you also saw in a particular way, which may or may not be accurate, but you know that they were impacting you in a certain way. So there, so there are a couple of things. The first thing is that we have some definite opinions about what's going on, and they're usually right. Yes? Until proven wrong. So there's a wonderful... Um, quote from a Zen master, Banke, who says, don't side with yourself. <laughs> right? So we tend to side with ourselves. Right? So we have an opinion and we really believe it. And it's possible that your opinion is completely correct. It's possible it's completely wrong. And it's possible that it's a combination. That some of it is right and some of it is wrong. So that's my first um, my first just observation is, you know, I try really hard in my own practice to notice when it's an opinion. And I'm always blown away by how many opinions I have. There are lots of opinions. I have lots of opinions about everything, right? The mind just produces opinion after opinion after opinion. And so it's helpful to constantly <laughs> remind yourself that it's just an opinion, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, if, you're, if, you're have, if there's a relationship that has a particular impact on you, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean one of you is right and one of you is wrong. 
it usually means that um, some that that both of you need work to work on whatever is happening, and there are different ways of working. One is with communication, right, and how we communicate with each other. Another is um, how how uh, how we project intentions onto other people which most of the time are not correct and the third is that there are harmful behaviors that people do do and so in any all of those are probably partly true in any situation and how to work with each aspect of the situation is is part of our is our work Right, so we work with the with the part where we're projecting all kinds of stuff onto somebody else that may or may not be true, and we kind of make keep a reserve a reserve somewhere that says, "Eh, we'll see." Right, and there's a place where um, probably there are behaviors that are being um, done by somebody else that they need to be called on. And how will you communicate that? Can you do that in a kind way? Can you do it with compassion? Can you do it in all of the ways that um, may be helpful to you and to that person? And um, to not uh, think any of those are the exclusive way of working but to really look and see your whole basket of possibilities and the way you can work with a difficult situation or a different difficult colleague. So that, again, you're not saying this is right and this is wrong, she's right, I'm wrong, she's wrong, I'm right. Or thinking that that's how it has to be resolved. Right? Um, you, you you don't have to take sides or make sides, and yet, and to quote another Zen master, there's no wrong and there's no right, but what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. <laughs> right? I'm feeling very Zen tonight. So, you know, so so can you live with all of those possibilities and work on all of those different fronts? Because our practice is multidimensional. It's not either black and white or, you know, this or that. It's, there are all kinds of things always happening. And, and knowing our relationship is more important, our relationship to what's happening is more important than what's happening itself, which is what meditation teaches us, right? So when we're sitting in meditation and, you know, there's a loud noise... It's not, oh my God, you know, my whole meditation is completely ruined, right? Because somebody has done something. But, oh, hearing. So right in that moment when we notice hearing and we watch that experience of hearing arise and abide for a while and disappear, we're training the mind to relate differently to phenomena coming and going. 
so that when something unpleasant arises in our experience, whether it's caused by another person in our perception, or um, caused you know, by accident or however it's caused, there is a shift in our relationship to it that um, helps us to not suffer. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So, so our, our task is not so much to figure out who's right, who's wrong, am I doing this right, am I doing this wrong, but really what's an appropriate relationship in this moment to what's happening. And our meditation, every time the attention's pulled away from the breath, that's what we're learning, an appropriate relationship, every single time. An appropriate relationship to sensation in the body, an appropriate relationship to thoughts in the mind, an appropriate relationship to other experiences arising, our appropriate relationship to feelings, to pleasant, to unpleasant, to neutral, our appropriate relationship to the emotions that are arising, our appropriate relationship in the third foundation, the Buddha talks about all of the different ways that the mind responds. You know, a mind filled with lust, a mind not filled with lust, a mind filled with hatred and mind not filled with hatred, a mind that's surpassable, a mind that's unsurpassable, a mind that is you know, mindful, a mind that's not mindful, a mind that's concentrated, a mind that's not concentrated. So we're looking always at how is the mind relating to what's arising. And by doing that, we're also noticing, oh, so when the mind is like this, there's suffering. When the mind is like that, there's not suffering, either for myself or for the other people involved in whatever situation it is. Right? So we're starting to get a 360-degree view that's much broader than our usual way of relating to our experiences. So in this situation, there are a lot of different fronts on which you need to work. Right? So if somebody's behaving inappropriately, you want to be able to talk to them about that. But if it's just your opinion or your projection of what they're doing, then you want to notice that. So you need to notice all of that before you act. And when you, when you do that, when you include all of that in your presence, all of that in your awareness, then you'll know what the appropriate response is. But if you're just going in, you know, without awareness, then chances are you're going to make a mess. Which we do, right? We do it all the time, so we know we're very familiar with that way of responding, right? Because we're reactive. You're welcome. Um, At the beginning of our group meditation, you said, let go of memory. But I'm wondering about how to work with memory in my daily life. Because yes, it takes me out of the present, and sometimes it causes suffering because there's grasping and attachment to people who you know, left this world. Um, mm. But on the other hand, I don't want to forget my life or forget those people that I've loved. But I feel in order for me to be fully in the present, I have to let go of it. Mm. So I'm confused about how to work with that. 
So having a memory and being caught by it are two different things. Right? So we can, we can be caught by a memory and be taken out of the present moment. Or we can be totally present for a memory. So it doesn't mean we have to forget those that we love that have passed, or even to remember fondly the good old days, or the bad old days, right? Um, but it's, it's when we get so caught by it that we're not present with what's happening now. Or we get so caught by it, we mistake it for the present. So we are reacting to what's happening now because we've not disengaged, disengaged is the wrong word, because we've not freed ourselves from whatever reactivity we had in the past. So one way, one, one way that that happens is, for instance, there's a trauma in our lives, right? And we keep responding to present moment experience as if it's that trauma because it hasn't been worked through. Now, you know, that's a, that's a particular kind of um, issue that needs work. But, so I'm just using it as, as an example. I'm not saying that if you've, if you've had trauma that, you know, that uh, you just let go of it and you're fine. No, it probably needs to have specific uh, work on, on, on whatever the trauma is. But, if you, but you can see how sometimes when we have um, uh, strong uh, experiences in the past, they then continue to influence everything that happens going forward. So when, when we talk about letting go of the past, it's not so much like white erasing your memory, because good luck with that, right? But not allowing it to be so pervasive that everything that happens in the present moment gets run through what happens in the past. It's, it's complex. It's not, it's not it, again, you know, none of this should be interpreted as, oh, I do this, not that. But a kind of reflective way of looking at our experience and understanding in the present moment what's happening in the present moment and what's appropriate. And part of what's happening in the present moment is our reactivity to what's happening in the present moment. And I, I had a student today that I was, that I was doing an, an interview with who was, who was very much involved with um, her reactivity to, a, to a, a, a recurring pattern, right? And her, her, her problem was that she kept thinking that her reactivity was bad, that she should just be able to get rid of that reactivity. But no, the reactivity that, you know, that, that's rooted in, in past experience keeps happening in the present moment. So can you look at it now, through the lens of now, but understanding what the roots of it are in the past. Because sometimes when we look at the past and we understand how our reactivity now comes from past experience, it can be very helpful, right? So again, we're not talking about, you know, 
polarities and dualities where one's right and one's wrong, but a kind of more wise understanding of what's present, what's past, what's future, how the past affects how we respond now or react now, and how we can shape the present moment in a, in a pure way so that we're responding to what's happening now. We're not still responding to something that happened in the past. Do you understand? Yes. Very helpful. Yeah, so, so again, you know, we can use language in such a way that we misinterpret how we need to, and then we kind of make ourselves a victim or we, or we victimize ourselves is a better way of putting it. We think, oh, you know, you could just get over yourself. Well, you know, that's hard. <laughs> it's hard to get over ourselves because we've got this huge karmic wave of causes and conditions that we keep carrying with us, right? And yet, we can also start to respond to situations in a different way and not carry that you know, that whole burden of the past with us, if we're clear about what's past, what's present, and how we fantasize about about the future. But no, please, feel free to um, be grateful to people who've passed on, to still remember the love that you had for them, to remember all of the things that have happened in your life that have been difficult, that you've learned lessons from, all of the things in your life that have been beautiful for which you're grateful. This is, this is what creates a full and rich and multi-dimensional life, right? But then to not mistake it for what's happening now. It's a, it's a, work, it's a work of art in progress, living a life, right? It's a dance. You're welcome. Mentioned Zen, so my question is uh, something from a different background position. Also, um, reading a book which I think is amazing, uh, really interesting, by Krishnamurti, uh, and it's called uh, The First and Last Freedom. So people don't know him, I haven't read that, but highly recommend it. Um, and it's really interesting. Like one of his points seems to be. Uh, don't think about it or try to do it or work towards it or practice towards it or have the intention towards it. Just do it. And then if you're doing any of those previous things, that it's uh, keeping you from actually doing it. <laughs> uh, so it's interesting because in some mm-hmm. ways I feel like that's really powerful and in some ways I feel like, well, that's crazy. So uh, I don't know. I'm curious to hear what, uh, what you or maybe if anyone else wants to chime into because... I mean, I feel like if I take what he's saying with that literally, then, like, all of us here tonight are, you know, trying to do this thing but not actually doing it. And I don't feel that way. So I'm curious to, yeah, whether it's, I guess, about him specifically or just, like, what you feel about uh, the difference between, like, having an intention or a goal or, like, wanting to change yourself in some way and practice versus uh, something else. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> case, case closed. <laughs> I, uh, one of my teachers had Krishnamurti as a teacher. And as a matter of fact, and we were just discussing a couple of days ago how he was stumped by um, 
the fact that he used to teach people that they shouldn't have teachers. <laughs> but then somebody asked him why he taught, and he couldn't answer. You know, so, which is why I say you're right, right? You know, all of the different ways that you're interpreting what he's saying are right. You know, even though they may seem opposite. So, you know, one of the things that we, we have a real problem living with is paradox. Right? But life is paradox. There's, there's nothing in life that isn't paradoxical. Right? So, um, but we have this tendency to want to solve it. And what would it be like to just live with it? So that we're right. Even when we're wrong, we're right. As uh, another Zen master, Suzuki Roshi said, you know, we're all perfect just as we are, and we could use a little improvement. Right? He's right. So, um, so in one way, trying is useless. And in another way, how can we get anywhere if we don't try? So solve that. <laughs> All right? And to live with that, and to, to even just live with that one question would be a wonderful way of practicing. So that, you know, as, as we were saying to Alex, um, you know, there's, there's a wide range of ways that you can look at your practice, and thinking is a perfectly wonderful thing to do, to reflect. But when you're thinking, don't like get so caught in the thought and let it just sort of run away with you and become like a runaway train. But really be intentional about how you reflect. So one way of reflecting is you can have a sit, and then if there's something that really feels as if it needs resolution in your life, formulate the question, be careful how you formulate the question, and drop it into your heart. Not wanting a, not having to think about the answer or wanting an answer, but just see what bubbles up, see what arises in your whole field of experience. Because we're not one-dimensional creatures. We're multi-dimensional creatures where things are happening on all kinds of different levels. They're happening on the visible level, they're happening on the invisible level, they're happening on the emotional level, on the mental level, on the physical level, and they're all dependent on each other. They're not separate things. You know, because how our body feels affects how our minds are. How our minds are affects our emotions. How our emotions are affects how we see things and our psyche and our intuition. So we're, we're operating on all of these different levels and it's exciting if we try to bring it down to like one level or one rule or one way, it becomes dull and lifeless and without luster. But there's a luminosity to life that's always there. 
that's able to be seen and understood and experienced. But that's, you know, the lotus doesn't grow out of light. It grows out of mud. So the luminosity is behind everything. It's behind your reactivity. It's behind your anger. It's behind your rage and your hatred and your love and your kindness and your compassion. And can you find it in all of that, in everything that you are as a human being? So freedom is not freedom from all of those um, afflictive emotions or or coming down to some rule about how we're going to practice, but really being alive in this moment to what's happening and embracing it and seeing what can we make of this? What can we make of this? And we have, we have some guidance and some guidelines about how, what's, what's helpful to avoid suffering, what's helpful to alleviate suffering. And so we can use them. Right? So we use kindness and equanimity and compassion and joy. But we, but we don't demonize all of the other emotions that we have that have come as a result of all of the con- causes and conditions that have been true in your life. You honor them. You bow to them. And you also and you transform them. Right? So, so the trying has to be there. And yet if you're trying too hard, you can miss the beauty. You can miss the luminosity. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.